You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. But this morning, I want to talk about, have you ever been um, like looking for something that you can't find anywhere, whether it's like a remote to the TV or just something in life? You feel like you're searching and searching and searching, and then you find that thing that you've been looking for, whether it's your keys, your remote to your TV, whatever it is, and then you find it, and there's this moment of pure joy, and there's all followed up by this intense period of anger at yourself like seriously i was looking for my sunglasses and they're on my head you guys ever been there you know what i'm talking about like where is my wallet oh it's in my pocket the whole time like we've all been there where you're looking for that thing that's right in front of you and then when you see it there's joy and then like internal frustration i feel like there's kind of the same sense of looking at something that we should see right in front of us in the text this morning when we're looking at mark um for those of you who are visiting we are finishing up the book of mark We've been going through it for a while now, and here we are. Right, today is Palm Sunday. It's a week before Easter. We're, we're in the final week of, of the life of Christ. And this is the Sunday morning that we see Jesus come, or the, the morning that we see Jesus coming into the city, and the palm branch, branches are being laid down. They're singing Hosanna. This is a, t- a crucial time in church history. This is an important time of the year that we reflect on the life of Christ. And I, for this morning, what I wanted to do uh, as we've gone through Mark and we're finishing it up right here this morning with the crucifixion and next week looking at the resurrection right on Easter, Easter Sunday. But this morning, I feel like in this text, we can miss some things that are there and we see somebody who's searching and when they find it, they respond. Um, and it, this part of this, cha- uh, this portion of the crucifixion can get overlooked in our attempts to understand what Christ went through on the cross. So if you would, let's read Mark chapter 15 together. Starting in verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Christ cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is, Eli- he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down and take him. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man is the Son of God. There were also the women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Solomon. 
And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up to him to Jerusalem. And when the evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died and summoned the centurion and asked him whether he had already died. And when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of a rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were, were where he laid. So in that passage, we have the crucifixion through the, eyes, or through the story of Mark, through the gospel of Mark. And I feel like there's sometimes things that we miss in this. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to see verse 43, if you would look at that real quick with me. Here we hear, we've heard of Joseph of Arimathea and how he gave his tomb, this family tomb, to Christ and for the body. And, and they took care of the body of Christ after the crucifixion. But I love that it says, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. Here's a man who's trying to find out where's God's kingdom, where's this Messiah, and he's watching for it. So he's not, he's not approving of what's happening, but he's watching what's happening. And then he sees something, and he recognizes the kingdom of God in this, in this story, in this moment of crucifixion. He recognizes the kingdom of God here on the earth. And I want to explain a little bit. See, when we go through life, we're always looking for something, and sometimes it's right in front of us. And right in this text, I feel like the people at that moment all of a sudden saw the kingdom of God. All of a sudden, a lot of them understood God's kingdom here on the earth. And this morning, I want to look at how the cross shows us the kingdom. How we can find the kingdom of God through what happened at crucifixion. It's not just a story, it's not just a a great moment in Christianity, but it's a glimpse at what the kingdom of God looks like in my life and across the world. The first thing I want to look at through the cross and its implications of the kingdom of God is how the cross took away our filth. See, um, who's got kids? Just let me see. Okay. Who knows somebody who's got little babies? Just little babies. And who likes holding those little babies? three, four of us. Okay. So like, it's mostly women and like two dudes. So, um, <laughs> two brave young men. <laughs> um, no, I have, I have two daughters for those of you who don't know, and you always hear my stories about them, but before children, so BC, if you want to call it that <laughs> before children, my wife loved kids and I knew people who had babies and I like babies. I, I always wanted babies but I'm not holding your baby for anything. Uh, nope. Doesn't matter who you are. We could be super close friends. I was not holding your child because the idea that it could possibly spit, poop, pee, vomit, whatever on me or around me. No, not, not about that. <laughs> Sorry. It's just not happening. So I, I would, it doesn't matter who you were. I would not hold a baby. The first baby that I held in my life was Haley when she was born. She was the first kid. Like, my, my wife had cousins who had babies, and she's like always, she took care of those cousins all the time. She's like, hold it. I'm like, mm, I'd rather not. It's not happening. So when Haley was born, though, my world changed. My view of filth, of poop, of pee, of all that puke, all that stuff changed. And now I can hold my 
children, and I've been through it all. I've had all of that stuff happen to me, around me, on me. It's, it's happened. I was just this week with my uh, sister, and she has a six-month-old, and she's awesome, Bella, little Bella, and she is one of the chunkiest kids I've ever seen in my life. She's cute, but she's got, so I called her the Michelin Man, like she was just, she's thick, and she's awesome. We, we were joking about it all week. It's okay. You can laugh. Like they know it's true. One of the biggest kids I've ever seen in my life. But she's so cute, and she like just stares, she's got this stare that stares through your soul, right? And like, I know as her uncle, I need to hold her because I love her. I still don't want her spitting or drooling or anything because she's not mine. Like, she's my, my niece, but she's not mine, even though there's a connection there. You guys know what I'm talking about? Let's be honest, guys. You all know what I'm talking about. Like, so I know I have a responsibility to hold her, and I should because I love her and I want to, but also I'm very cautious. Like, it's... It's not my kids throw up, it's yours. Your kids throw up, and that better not touch me. So I'm holding her this week, and I, re- I found myself like, you know, I'm kissing her. I kiss her on the forehead. Why? Because I know she can't drool on her forehead. If she does, it's pretty impressive. Like, so I'm holding her, and every little kiss is on her forehead. I hold her at a good angle, so like, if there's any projectile, it's going that direction and not this direction. Like, I've got that worked down. But, like, there's this natural thing in me to not want to deal with filth, to not want to deal with any kind of, like, grossness from the body. For you who work in hospitals or nursing homes, I'm thankful for you, but I don't understand you at all. Like, it (laughs) makes no sense. So, so glad there are people like you who can deal with that. That's not me at all. But, like, somebody has to do that. Like, parents have to deal with filth. It's funny because I say this, like, I was so cautious about, like, touching babies before kids. But once I had them, I dealt with it all. And, like, vomit on me didn't bother me anymore. Like, bodily things, when it's your child and you love them, aren't really a barrier anymore. Does that make sense? Like, all of a sudden you can get through the, the gross parts of life. I feel like this text... There's some really disgusting things that happen here. And we don't see it because we don't understand culturally what's happening here. And I want you to see this morning that the filth of humanity was literally presented in front of Christ. And he was able to forgive it on the cross. I learned something a few years ago by watching a pastor that um, has been kind of through the news lately. And so this morning, instead of teaching that to you, I want to show you a video clip if we have it available because I want to give him credit for, for this. But when I heard this, it blew my mind and it changed the way that I looked at this passage. Understand what I'm talking about? And I want you to see the filth of this moment at the cross. I've heard that passage preached. I've read that text and I've always thought that's just strange. Like, Why would they give him vinegar? You know, he's, he was thirsty, so they gave him vinegar just to kind of be cruel. Um, and then I've also heard it that there was mercy involved, that they wanted to give him something, so they had a little want, like sour wine or vinegar, so they gave him some of that because it was mercy. But in this passage, you don't see mercy. We just, Jared preached last week of the mockery that Jesus endured. The wrath, not just of God, but the wrath at that time of all mankind coming out when somebody that these Roman soldiers didn't even know. All of their wrath, all of their bitterness, all of their filth coming out to, the, to Christ in that moment. And here he is on the cross. 
And what do they do? They take filth and disgust of their hearts and amplify that into the physical filth of humanity and put it up to his lips and mock him. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because he recognizes, and he's quoting the psalmist, he recognizes in this moment I'm taking the wrath of mankind, the wrath of God, and now I'm separated. I've never been separated before from God because Christ was pure and holy and not separated like mankind. And here he is, he feels forsaken because he knows at this moment this is what he's supposed to do. So he quotes the psalmist, and they think that he's calling down Elijah this come rescue him out of the clouds because the words L-O-I, L-O-I, they, they're confused. And so they mock him back. They put the filth and disgust of a public bathroom into his lips and mock him. There's no mercy. There's no love. There's no compassion. It's pure hatred, bitterness, and filth that we put in front of his mouth. Here we see the, the scene, and I was, we just read it from the text. That he's on the cross and they're gambling over his clothes. They're putting crowns of thorns on his head. They're, they're putting a mocking sign, king of the Jews above him, in mockery to him and to the Jewish people. There's no mercy, there's no compassion by this crowd, by these centurions. It's pure hatred and bitterness and the filth of humanity. Jared spoke last week, Why? What was their reason? They, they had nothing invested in Christ. They had nothing, no reason to hate him like this. They were Roman soldiers doing another crucifixion. But all this disgustingness came out in this moment to our Savior and met him on the cross. They're gambling, they're mocking, they're filth. And then he says, it's finished. He at that moment, he on the cross, took the filth of humanity forgave it all the most disgusting thing that we can do he forgave it all a week before humanity is praising them praising him with their lips and now humanity puts our filth to his on palm sunday or the moment today we say hosanna and a week later we're we're cursing him and putting filth in his face See, this morning, like, I know that's a disgusting image, that's a disgusting video that we watched, but it's the reality of what happened on the cross, and we can miss it. We can, we can lose the context through the years of separation. We can miss what really happened here. And this morning, what I, what I want you to recognize is the cross took our filth, and he forgave it. It was finished. His grace forgave it for once and for all. See, your most shameful act, your most heinous crime, your most disgusting thing that you've ever thought or did, the thing you're most embarrassed by that you would want nobody to know about, the cross paid for that. The cross forgave it. I feel like so many of us, we remember these sins of our youth, we remember the, the brokenness of our hearts, we know, we know our own thoughts. We know the brokenness that we think, the, the bad things that we've done, whether it's super extreme or just in re- everyday life. We know the things that we're ashamed by. But here at the cross, that filth was presented in front of him and he was able to forgive it. It was put to his mouth so that he could taste it. 
It was put on his shoulders so that he could bear it. And then he said, it's finished. See, not only is the cross how you and I find forgiveness for the things that we've done to ourselves, the things that we've done, the sin that we've committed, but the cross is also the place that we can forgive others. The atrocities that have been committed against us, the, the crimes that seem to go unpunished. The cross is the place that takes care of not only our filth, but others' filth as well. It's that father that forgives the murderer of his child. You guys seen that kind of thing on the news or on YouTube where a father somehow is able to face the murderer of his child and say, I forgive you. That's what the cross gives us the ability to do. It's the wife forgiving a cheating husband. It's, it's a child forgiving an abusive parent. Without the cross taking the wrath of sin and guilt and shame and forgiving it and being, paying the penalty for sins on our behalf before God, I'm not able to find forgiveness for myself and I'm not able to forgive others. But when I recognize that the cross paid for all humanity's shame, all humanity's filth, all humanity's brokenness, I can look at somebody who's hurt me and wronged me and say, I forgive you. I let it go because it's been taken care of at the cross. Christ absorbed that wrath so that we don't have to go out and give wrath to others. I'm not saying there's not a justice system in, in the States. That's, that's not what I'm saying. There is a natural justice system. that, But I'm saying there's something, when there's a crime that's committed against me, I'm able to release that in my heart. I'm able to forgive it because a righteous, perfect God took that, took my junk and his junk and everybody in this room's junk to his lips and on his shoulders on the cross and bore it. So now the kingdom has forgiveness in it. Jesus is our vengeance, and Jesus is our forgiveness. We have to see that through this passage. We have to look at this text and him on the cross and realize at the cross, I'm forgiven and I'm avenged. The second thing I want to point out this morning is the cross took our separation. Have you ever really, really felt alone, like all alone in the world, like, Oh, in the world. What was that song from America? Bible goes west, isn't he? Like, I just I don't know that image of this little mouse crying out just popped in my head. Somewhere out there. That's it. <laughs> We've we're all kind of there at some point in our life where we feel isolated, we feel alone, we feel separated, and the worst thing is when we recognize that we're separated from God, when we're the, that we're isolated, that we don't have His presence. I talk. I've talked to with my wife a couple times we've, we've had this discussion I don't know how people can live life without knowing they're connected to God without having his presence in their life I shared a few weeks ago about Christ when he's in the garden and he grieves he's not grieving over the pain of the cross he's not grieving over the filth of what he's going to endure he's grieving over the fact of separation from the father of feeling that wrath and being separated from the holy God you and I were created to never feel alone or isolated. You and I were always created to have communion with our Father. And so Jesus says on the cross, why have you forsaken me? I want to look at Luke's version of this story. Luke chapter 23. 
starting in verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sunlight failed. And the centurion of the temple, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Abba, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. We see Jesus feeling forsaken. We see Jesus taking the wrath of of God, the the filth of humanity, the sin of humanity, bearing it on himself. And then we see this verse, which I find to be one of the most exciting verses in all of Scripture, that the curtain to the temple was torn in two. The veil to the temple was torn in two. What that symbolized, what that was, was the place that only God's presence would dwell in the temple and only the highest priest could go in there once a year to be with God. And even then he had to be had a rope around his leg because if he had sin in his life, he couldn't stand in front of the presence of God and they would pull him out if he would die. And so when Jesus takes your, your sin, your, your brokenness, your filth, and he forgives it all on the cross, the temple curtain splits. And this is a thick, big curtain. This isn't like some curtain at the Holiday Inn. This is a legit, thick curtain where God's presence was on the other side. And it's split in half and then what do we see at the cross? This is two separate locations. We see this, the, the curtain split, and at the cross, one of the Roman soldiers says, certainly this is the Son of God. I see. And then what's the next thing say? And all the crowds that have been assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. Beating their breasts means they recognized that there was, they'd done something wrong. It meant a sign of grief or repentance. I find it absolutely amazing that at the cross, when Christ took our separation, we see somebody lose their separation. We see that Roman, all of a sudden his eyes are open. The crowd sees then what just happened. The veil to the temple was torn so that you and I have access. Something happened in that moment where we were no longer separated from the holy presence of God, but we have access and our eyes can be opened. There was literal eyes being opened to the spiritual world in that moment. They were able to say, surely he is the son of God. This morning, as we go through this passage on the crucifixion, I ask you, how do you see the cross? How do you view this passage? Are you able to see what happened here and look at him and say, surely he is the Son of God? How do you see the cross this week? Do you recognize the filth of what he went through? Do you recognize that your own filth, the thing that you're ashamed of, the thing that you've been broken by, has been forgiven by him at that moment, at that place? Do you realize what actually happened there? Or do you, do you think of Easter as a cross made out of chocolate? Do you think it's an old story? That's what we have to ask ourselves this week. Is it the place that I've been forgiven? Is it the place where I'm no longer separated? 
is the place where I have access now to our God who loves us. This is the place where the veil was torn so that you and I can have access to the Father. This is the place where I once was blind, but now I see. That's what we have to ask ourselves this week. What is the cross to you? Do you realize the full implications on the way to the cross? There are a few books that I would love to recommend. One of them is this one we have over here, Death by Love. It talks about the different things the cross accomplished, what the work of Christ actually accomplished in our life. There's another one called The Cross of, the cross of Christ by John Stott. I quote it all the time. I love it. There's so much more to what happened in this passage and in these Gospels and here at the cross than just something that we celebrate once a year, something that we mix with chocolate and we have Easter bunnies and we make it a big, oh, let's all wear purple and pink and light, beautiful colors. Let's wear our Easter colors. I didn't mean to wear black today, I'm sorry. It just kind of happened, and then somebody said I look like a priest. I mean, that's okay. But I, it didn't mean, I should have brightened it up a little bit, just for the holidays, for Easter. That's not what it's about, though. It's not about these color schemes and spring and bunnies and eggs and family and hams that we have and dinners. It, it's not about that. It's about my guilt and my shame and my burdens being taken away from me, and now I have access to the Father. That is the beauty of the gospel. And if we don't recognize that, then the cross will always just be a symbol that we wear around our neck, something that's made out of chocolate that we eat, or something that we easily forget. I don't want that to be the case for our church. I don't want it to be the case in my life. There are things in my past, in my background, there are thoughts that I've fought that no, you would think nobody would love you for. Every, you guys know what I'm talking about. We've all thought a thought that we've been ashamed by. We've all done actions that we're ashamed by. But he took that in that moment and he bore it for us. And there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's just life now in him. This morning, if Kenny and the worship team can come, we want to sing Before the Throne again. I, I love that song. But I, I, do want to, I do want to do one thing. If you, if you have never received Christ, if you don't understand this message, let me tell you, the basic message of the gospel is that he died in your place, he took your shame, he took your filth, and you don't have to live in that anymore. And he wants to be Lord of your life and give you joy. Salvation Christianity is not about escaping hell and getting heaven. It's about getting his presence in heaven and here on the earth. Experiencing him. I don't feel alone. I don't feel isolated. For those of you who don't know, my wife and our family has been going through a lot of things with her dad being sick, in and out of the hospital. He's in the hospital now. Pray for him. They thought they did a surgery. They thought it was the answer, and now they don't know if it's the answer. So pray for him. We just found out this morning. But she said this to me last week. She said, you know, as much as the ups and downs of the last six months with everything's been, she's like, I've never felt like God wasn't here. I've never felt like God wasn't with me. That's exciting for me to hear. And the truth, was, the truth is every person in this city should know that feeling. Every person in this room should know that God is here and he's speaking and he's real and I have access to him. That's, that's the beauty of the gospel. 